Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. So I'm so excited today because Scott Wells is our guest. Scott Wells is a member of St. Paul's. He attends Ordinary Life. More importantly, Scott is a personal friend of mine. I've known Scott for a number of years. He is a professional magician who has won practically every award that a magician can get. Uh, We just found out he has a podcast that's been running for over 10 years. And uh, Scott, I'm delighted you're here. Uh, You've been so generous with me over the years in helping me, giving me guidance and suggestions and all that sort of stuff. It's just, uh, um, and now, uh, because we devoted last week or week before to going ballistic about the movie (laughs) in and of itself, I know you know a lot about it, and so I'm hoping we can pick your brain about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, one of the delights of my um, lifetime in uh, Ordinary Life, Scott, was when you did for Bill a... um, what Bill calls miracles, what you might call magic tricks, choose your word, um, for his 80th birthday, when we we sort of planned a whole class. It was a surprise party for his 80th yeah. birthday. That was great. <laughs> I remember I was very honored for you to have asked me because I know we had a lot of people who had a lot of uh, nice uh, eulogies to give to him and tributes, basically, uh, to uh, to thank him for all he had done for so many years. And it just seemed like yesterday. And that was so much fun, you know, for him wearing that silly little hat. And <laughs> and then we I did some magic and everything then. And I enjoyed uh, I enjoy the magic from time to time that he presents uh, to to the to our group before we meet. And uh, as as a magician, I just really love his presentations and the things that uh, he he brings out that are sometimes new to me. Sometimes there are some of the classics. Some are some old chestnuts that I haven't seen in a long time. And so I just love an opportunity when we get together for lunch to talk about uh, magic and to uh, kind of let him know some of the latest things and what's happening because yeah that on my own podcast called the magic word podcast.com that it is uh they're they much like this there are conversations between two people in this case that uh, holly you and bill are talking with each other each week and in mine i talk with a different magician each week and kind of uh, most of them have been people that i've worked with whether it's been at the magic castle in hollywood or we worked on cruise ships or worked uh, at trade shows uh, uh, banquets, birthday parties, uh, basically every venue possible, bar mitzvahs, whatever. Uh, and so uh, everyone has a little bit different kind of a twist and different specialty. And so it's been fun to uh, talk with people from other magicians from around the world. And it's, it's not a uh, discussion about tricks. It's just a conversation between friends. And you can really feel that much that you like you can here with uh, this podcast between you and Bill being so close as you are and the friendship that you have and the the things that you share with each other that uh, have a lot of common bonds. It's a very interesting podcast and I love uh, listening to, to your podcast and recommend other people to put that on to subscribe and listen regularly too. Thanks. Well, I call Bill uh, my Jedi and I'm the Padawan. 
year. So <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, and, and, you know, Jedi's, they have some magic of That's their right. own, actually. Well, speaking so, of magic, by the way, I know again that, as I said, sometimes in his class that Bill will often op open with a magic trick and people will say, well, you haven't done any magic uh, when you've been on the podcast. Well, you're thinking, well, you can't do magic over the radio. You can't do magic virtually where you can only have the medium of audio and not uh, couple it with visual, but I will um, see what you might think about this. Now, prior uh, to us actually recording this today, then Bill and Holly, I'd ask both of you uh, a question. I ask you, this, this is just a yes or no question. Uh, uh, did I ask you just to look, Bill, to shuffle some cards, look at a card, and Holly, just to think of a playing card. Is that right? Yep. Yes. Yes. So at this point that you have a card in mind, correct? Yeah. Correct. And also, uh, yes or no, I, I, you've, you've not shared this with me. I have no idea what your card is. You haven't shown it to me. You haven't uttered it to each other. You haven't typed it in. You haven't put it in, in there. So, uh, so you have not shared that with me. Is that correct? Confirmed. That's correct. No one in the world has actually seen my card. No one has, because that has been one that has been totally of your imagination, Holly, whereas, Bill, you physically had a deck of cards, as most magicians do, as I do, within arm's reach, obviously, Absolutely. quickly. <laughs> and so, who, do, who, who does it? <laughs> that's the way I feel. What's wrong with the rest of the world? Why aren't right. they like us? I mean, right here, here, here's my deck of cards. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're everywhere around the house. They're in my car. Uh, I'm sure like with okay. yours as well. Yeah, although I, I always say, people say don't text and drive. I say don't shuffle your cards and drive. <laughs> uh, anywho, so uh, the point is that you had a card selected. Uh, one physically, one that is only known in your mind, Holly, and mm -hmm. also that that has not been shared with me. And so there's no way that I would know what, uh, what your card is. I want you both to, to think of your card and let me see uh, again that people who are listening to this um, don't know that we can actually see each other because we're recording this using the uh, Zoom platform. So I can actually look in your eyes and I can kind of tell, but do not hold up the card then Bill, but I want you just to uh, look at me. I'm going to see if I can uh, um, get some sort of, of an idea just from the way that uh, you are thinking of your card. And I'm thinking the way that you're kind of looking around rather than not directly at me, that it's a dark card. Is it a black card? It is. It's a black card, yes. I'm gonna go so far then, it could be obviously a club or a spade. I'm gonna go with the spade, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, I'm also going to suggest or the way that you're kind of looking down rather than up, if you're looking straight down, you're looking like at a, like at a clock instead of looking up at a 12, which would be a, uh, which would be a queen, you're looking down like it's uh, six o'clock or something. So I'm going to say, was your card the six of spades? Yes, I was looking down at my card, which is right here, a six, six of spades. spades. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> now, Holly, you have a card merely in mind. There's nothing you could hold up that would indicate to me what card that you are uh, holding. I will say, however, that this is interesting that uh, you are wearing red headphones today. So I'm going to guess that your card is a red card. Is that correct? It is. It's a red card. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and uh, also, I know that you have uh, two young boys at home. Is that right? Three, three, three. Wait a minute. That's interesting because I'm going to say your card was maybe a three of hearts. I'm so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? 
Yes, it is. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> let, let me pull it out of my brain, my brain here and show you. <laughs> Confirmed. Ah, there you go. There you go. Oh, thanks, Scott. That's fun. That's fun. So um, I, I know that you're honor bound not to tell us anything about how any of the things the magic worked on the the movie. I don't know whether they call it a movie. It's a production. It's a play. It's a production. That's correct. It's it's a film adaptation. I would think, or not even an adaptation. It's a it's a, it's a film of the Broadway production. It okay. also slips into like documentary a little bit, you know, kind of documenting his life it, a little bit. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And documenting and, and, that, and I, the show itself. I, I think that I could count like five magic effects that were done in there. And, and honestly, they were vehicles for one of the most powerful stories I think I've heard in a long time about personal identity um, and, and so much more. And growth. Uh, mm -hmm. It was, it was, and you know, that's one of the things that we talk about in ordinary life all the time is who are you? How are we to live? Who am I? How are we connected? And it was like in that production, he took people's identity away from them and gave it back to them, expanded, enhanced, uh, in a really moving, moving way. I noticed, and I did, in, in the interest of full disclosure, Scott and, and Sherry and I share um, symphony events together and sit close together at the symphony, and we chatted last Friday night about this. And I forgot to ask you then, but I sent you a text, which you said you would talk about today. Mm -hmm. At the end of that performance, the magician was weeping, and I wondered... You know, he did this over 550 times on Broadway. Did he end every performance like that, you think? Okay, I, I have a little insight on that. Um, the, uh, a friend of mine who was uh, at, uh, well, I don't know, I have several friends who have attended the performance, uh, but there was one who was on the recording. Whenever I viewed it, I noticed that he was sitting there. They'd already called him and he'd already sat down. I called him. Uh, and ask him about it. Uh, this uh, gentleman's name is Pat Hazel. Pat was a friend of mine, magician up in Omaha. And uh, whenever I moved to Omaha, he was moving to Los Angeles. Long story short, he uh, was uh, uh, like a head writer for Seinfeld. A very funny guy. He's a very good comedian. Uh, and he has his own one-man play and everything. Nevertheless, he uh, was sitting there. So I called him and I said, so what was it like? And he gave me a little bit of insight. And I asked him that very question then, Bill. What do you think that Derek Delgadio, the star of this uh, production in and of itself, uh, actually reacts that same way where he has tears in his eyes uh, and emotes the same emotion time after time? And he said, I talked with Frank Oz, who was the director of the, of the production of the film. And he said, uh, as a director, uh, I told him, uh, of course, if you're directing a movie, that's one thing. But when you're going to be doing it over and over and over, uh, it does take a lot out of you, as you could probably imagine, certainly. But so he, uh, uh, the director, Frank Oz, had told him, I want you just to read the part, in your, say the part as it's scripted. Don't change it. Uh, it it's, it's good text. It's good script. Uh, but as you feel it, and if you feel it, then emote as you feel it, as you are saying it. 
And so therefore, sometimes he would weep and sometimes he may not. But when you stop and think about that, that it was a very personal and raw feeling that he was sharing. And so I think that more times than not, I would probably venture to say close to 90% of the time, if it were me, I would think that he probably did emote uh, and did have some, some tears uh, because it was so personal to him. And I say that because I have a, a part in my show towards the end where that the, where, where, the, where the trick is I have a length of thread and I tear it into small pieces. And as I tear each small piece, I talk about phases of my life. And I might start weeping as I'm talking about this even just right now. But the, as I would tear off a little bit of it, then I talk about having lived at home and then left home to go to college, left my parents, and then going uh, from college to having left my friends there to uh, travel to a different state and find a job, and then leaving that job, and each time breaking off little pieces of thread, and then meeting my wife, and then having uh, children, and, and, and my, the, old, the old part of life changed. And then with the next part of life, you move on to something else, and then the kids grow, and they're out of the house, and they're gone away from you. And then you have uh, uh, grandkids. It's a new part of your life. And then in my case, my wife uh, had a brain tumor and died. So, uh, so that part left. And so each time something happens and at the end, all these pieces of thread come back together to show that it is just one life is just one long piece of thread, basically all connected and interconnected and each equal parts to each other. My point being is that as I would say this night after night and time after time in the times that I did, that uh, there is certainly, and, and that's the abbreviated part of it, but you can get the point that it can be very emotional. And it also is something in which the audience can relate then more to, to not only your your life, your reality, but also they can internalize that. So it becomes something important to them that they can relate to as well, because they had different parts of their lives that they had to leave and move on and had to overcome these problems or, or whatever that it was. Uh, and likewise, as he, Derek Ogadio was talking about this in the play, that I believe that he had, uh, he was sharing his personal feelings uh, and as he did, then we can, we can relate to that also. And it makes it more relatable when you have a personal story that you're telling. So uh, the answer is that, yeah, he did uh, 552 performances. And uh, I would imagine that most of those that he came to some emotional conclusion like that. So if, if just to be clear, if anybody is just joining us or if anybody's not seen this production called In and of Itself, it's on Hulu. It's worth getting Hulu for a free trial just to watch it. Uh, I have watched it now twice. I have picked up something each time. Uh, Holly and I have recommended it to scores of people. Everybody except one has had an enthusiastic response to it. <clears throat> and that one person was an adolescent. And it made me think the adolescent does not have, I'm not putting the person down because I love him a lot, but the adolescent has not had the experience, the life experience to be touched as profoundly as we were in seeing uh, the thing. Now, I got to warn you, Scott, Holly is likely 
to put a question to you about the letters. I, I, got, I am. I got, <laughs> I got some stories about that too. Yeah, but I wanted to remark on two things that you actually said that you tied into your own shows, which is um, the idea of vulnerability. So being willing to sort of, um, there, there is this, you know, we watch actors on screen all the time and conjure emotions about characters that they are playing that aren't them, right? So mm -hmm. that, that, is, that definitely can be practiced and done, but then when there's vulnerable, the way that I think that is done is when you can actually relate to the thing that you're saying or doing. And the second thing you said, you, you, you were talking about the use of strings in your own sort of story. And I, I keep thinking about the theme of continuity in, in and of itself, that there is, there is a continuous story that is shared from night to night to night to night, because Mr. or Mrs. Yesterday returns today, Mr. or Mrs. Tomorrow returns the next day, right? And so each person kind of has a thread that they're, that they're, they're in continuation with this show or this narrative. So in some ways it just keeps, it's not, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It keeps going from one day to the next. And, you know, in talking about the strings as you were, when we can relate to one another in that in, in this con continuity of life, then there's more vulnerability. I and guess. it doesn't end either. Yeah. That is passed on to others with whom you have shared your story mm -hmm. and they pick up with their story and add to it, much like the book that those people were taking and completing yeah. how they felt that the show might end. Yeah. Uh, just as whenever people go home, they might complete the story thinking, well, I wonder how this magician's life is going to end. He shared this up to this point. He's still alive. He's going to do more. They don't know at that point what else I have planned. Or, yeah. uh, and, and likewise, I think that we, uh, you're right, Holly, that there are individual threads and we each have our own length of thread and that we have a time that we can uh, share this then with others and tie our thread to someone else's and, and, and carry on from one generation to the next by passing on their stories also. Uh, I, before you uh, grill Scott about the letters, I just want to say one, one other thing. Uh, in watching this drama, um, I, I learned so much. And you know, I think one of the things that I arrogantly feel is that I'm kind of, I kind of know it, I don't mean that, but I have used that story of the elephant and the blind men for often on for 50 years and never, ever, ever have I thought about the fact that nobody has ever told that story from the elephant's point of view. And that just blew me away. So we are so often putting our projections and assumptions onto other people and not thinking, oh, what is this like for them? Mm. That was, that's one of the highlights of the, mm. the whole thing for me. Did you have a response, Scott, to the sort of elephant story, if you will. Yeah, I, I, I loved uh, the, the thought that we have, <clears throat> we are, um, we put people in a box. If, whenever you're at a social gathering, one of the first questions, if they're not talking about, hey, how's the weather? You know, what about those Astros or whatever that are <laughs> sports or something? It's like, if they don't know you, they're trying to, you know, people trying to find a common ground. But unfortunately, I think that one of the things that uh, people ask 
erroneously is, well, what do you do? And it's not just so they're looking necessarily to have some commonality of social response, but also it's like, what box can I put you in? And then I can move on. Maybe perhaps where are you in the economic uh, right. hierarchy, et cetera? Are you worth my time to talk to? And at what level of education do you have that I should respond and ask questions or whatever kind of a thing? So uh, unfortunately, that uh, we do tend to put people in boxes and we have built those boxes through our own um, uh, experiences, our own environment, our, our life story as we have been growing. Uh, and that's where stereotypes come from. Uh, and so same thing like with the blind man and the elephant. Okay, well, it must be a snake. It must be uh, a tree trunk, etc. But just as Bill has said that we perhaps have lost a mystical animal that really was all of these things because we put that elephant in a box that we call right. an elephant when really it was all of those things together. And so the person cannot be who they really want to be. And so that's what I'm thinking is that um, when, for an example, when people will uh, ask me, this is when I, I lecture to magicians. And one of the things I talk about to begin with is uh, when people will ask, say, what do you do? You say, I'm a magician or I'm a photographer. I'm a, a, a woodworker. I, uh, I'm an attorney, whatever it is. Instead, I think that people should uh, explain more of what they do. In other words, rather than me saying I'm a magician and then people putting me into a box, say, oh, you do kids' birthday parties. Obviously, this thing, the, in and of itself, the Derek Delgadio is more than a magician. And just as Bill said, when children would go to that thinking it's going to be a magic show, no, it's not. And yeah. so that's why I tried to take myself out of the potential box where people would put me by saying, well, what I do is that uh, uh, I help uh, other companies uh, improve their uh, ROI, their return on investment uh, and their profits. What do you do? Well, I help uh, by bringing in more customers and, and try to uh, increase brand awareness. Well, how do you do that? Uh, through whenever I work with them at trade shows or at corporate events, uh, whenever they have um, uh, conferences, etc. Well, what do you mean? What exactly do you do? Uh, well, I try to attract clients to come to, to their booth so we can talk about whatever it is. Well, how do you do that? Well, I'm, I do magic tricks. Oh, you're a magician. Well, by that time, they've gotten in three or four things and they've gotten to know more about me and they have more of a discussion. So the same thing, like if you're a photographer, let's say, well, I create experiences and memories that people will have for a lifetime. Holy cow. What does that mean? And you suddenly pique their interest. And so I'm appealing to people to whenever that you are talking to people, don't define yourself. Again, like with this movie in and of itself or this play, that uh, it's just a one word or two words. You know, I am a beauty queen. Uh, I'm a leader. I am a businessman or uh, whatever. That uh, you are more than that. We are each so much more. And so rather than defining yourself as a particular thing, as you're talking and meeting someone, perhaps you can shine a light on the positive things that you bring to the world through your profession. One of the things that sort of occurred mm -hmm. to me as I was watching this is number is kind of what you're saying. Number one, that sort of blessing and curse, if you will, of being human is this, this sort of need to know. Um, our need to know sometimes is expansive, you know, as a uh, as, as science progressed over eons, we got to Einstein's theory of infinite expansion, right? And, and, that, and, and knowing that, we can't even touch the edges of infinity. 
So we know something that is expansive. Sometimes our need to know is as you are saying, it's like that, that um, shortest distance between two points is a straight line. We wanna get so quickly to the straight line that we bypass right. the sort of nuances. We bypass the, um, the, the trees that line the corner that you would turn or the, the bed of flowers, you know, because we've tried to create the straight line so quickly. And we do that with people. We, we want so quickly to understand who someone is, what they do and what they have to offer that we, we miss all their squiggly parts, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, there was there was a movie I just recently watched also. I think it was on Netflix. It was an older movie, a romance called uh, About Time. It's an interesting movie as well in which that someone is able to go back in time. They can't really go forward, but they can kind of change something. And uh, one of the things was in the movie that this guy kept going back in time to relive certain times with loved mm -hmm. ones that he could experience deeper, richer, with more nuances, as you say, Holly, and kind of looking around and smelling the roses that he didn't do the first time and going back a third and fourth, a 20th, 30th time, just to listen really to what his father was saying and things like that. Then at the end of the movie, he got to the point where I'm not going back as often as I used to. I've decided to live in the moment and to actually experience and to appreciate what is happening now all the time and just be very sensitive mm -hmm. to everything. And that's the way I think mm -hmm. we should live. Mm -hmm. I, the other thing that sort of um, we talked about after watching in and of itself was this idea that in the experience of being present in the in the room, and even in the experience of watching it on TV, which we can recreate by watching it again and again and again, um, but eventually we might not have the same emotional reaction by the time we're watching it the 17th time as we did the first, second or third time. Um, but inside of that space, there was such an overwhelming feeling of vulnerability, of kind of rawness that everybody in that theater sort of experienced at the same time, maybe experienced it differently. And then they sort of have to go back out into the world um, Kind of, you know, you imagine coming out of a dark room and you're kind of blinky eyed and the light is so bright. It, it's sort of like that. And you've sort of had this raw, vulnerable, emotional experience. And then all of a sudden you have to pivot and go back out into the real world. So, and I think, you know, as you say, we should we live like this all the time, just kind of noticing these nuances, noticing people's broken bits and, and how beautiful the broken bits can be. Um, where does that get to be too much? You know, like where does sort of that vulnerability? It can be very easy. Uh, you can slide down that. Uh, and everybody wants to help everyone. And if you listen to everybody, you're not gonna be anything. You just need to uh, still be your own person, but it's also good to be a good listener. And um, maybe not to ask questions, just, just to be there. It's what people say a lot of times, well, I don't want to visit someone in the hospital because I don't know what to say, or I don't want to visit someone who is uh, at a uh, memorial service because I don't know what to say. That's not the point. You don't need to say anything. It's just being there and being seen and knowing that uh, the, the people know that you're there and you mm -hmm. love them, you know? Um, you know, Scott, I think one of the um, things that you let me in on uh, that really, even added to the drama's value for me is that, um, and people haven't seen it, when people come into the theater, they face a wall and they're asked to take a card that has a one word description of them. You know, I'm a 
godfather, I'm a leader, I'm a dreamer, I'm a good Samaritan, I'm something. And so, and at the end of the, the show, the magician is somehow able to look at everybody in the audience and tell them what card they picked. I, it just that blew me away. But there was one guy that he stood and looked at for a long time, and he, he said, nobody. Because the guy had picked the card, I'm nobody. And my heart just went out to him. And then later, you told me, that guy was nobody at all. I mean, he was famous. Yes. Let me share that story with you. Uh, he, he is a friend of mine, and he is a fairly well-known magician, and he performs and lectures at magic conventions and uh, works for a magic dealer, uh, creates a lot of stuff of his own. When he had attended that show, um, and he saw that wall of IMs, and you're looking around what to select, at that particular evening, there were several celebrities in attendance. And this is one of those things, those plays that as the word got out that more and more people would attend and it got to be the thing in New York and it was uh, constantly sold out and hard to get a ticket. And so when he showed up and he looked around and he started thinking, man, who am I? I'm nobody. I mean, these people, I mean, there's, well, like, I'm not going to, if you haven't seen, I don't want to explain, but there were some celebrities in the audience that evening then also, but uh, I don't know who was in the night he was there necessarily because that was kind of an edited piece, uh, the way that it was all put together. But still there were people that mm -hmm. he recognized knowing that in comparison that he was nobody. So he mm -hmm. felt like that was the case. So it wasn't a joke. It was something he truly felt that he was uh, nobody because the Derek Delgadio had asked people to stand up if you were taking this seriously. Mm -hmm. If you just think it's a joke, then please stay seated. Well, uh, several people stood up and he was one of them. And so when that, so it had kind of a dual reality bill, mm -hmm. if you will, because at that point that to him, he was a nobody compared to who else was there, but to the viewer who doesn't know this story uh, are, are thinking that this guy thought that uh, really he isn't anybody and that I haven't done anything with my life and where am I going to go? I mean, and, and people can relate to, to his identity because a lot of times we feel as if there were nobody in any given time of the day when we might feel, hey, we've just had a success and I feel really good. I'm going to have a, a cup of coffee to celebrate or whatever that now. Uh, and then other times it's like, oh man, I'm a failure. This thing just didn't work or this project I was working on fell apart or whatever. Uh, and so really I'm, I'm not going to be successful. I'm nobody. And so we all feel that way at one time or another. And that's again, I think part of what this in and of itself tells us is that we do go through these identity crisis or periods of identity crisis of trying to determine who we are at any given time and and not that we are uh, going to stay in that position but we're going to move on probably to someplace else is kind of the encouraging end of the story that I am more than just this so I may be nobody right now but I'm not in the long run so that's a little insight on on that particular one this also, you know, the, the shifting terms of our identity, had that same exactly. person come two weeks later, he might have chosen something very different, you know, that, um, so there's like the box of our identity, what do you do? Well, I'm a magician, um, but day to day, you know, our, our emotions around what do we do or who we are change. So that's, I think that 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 is another element of like the continuity, right? That these shifting sands, if you will, of our kind of identity and experience of ourselves. 
That's right. There, there was one point in there also that some people may not recognize. And so I will share this, even if you haven't seen it, it's not going to be a big exposure. But when Derek uh, looks at one gentleman and says, um, uh, brother, uh, you're my brother. Uh, and he sits down. Uh, the fellow was wearing a ball cap and he really didn't show his full face. It just kind of saw from the side. You didn't see who that was, but that was David Blaine. And so many of you who maybe listen to this should know who David Blaine is. If you don't, he is a magician, had several television specials and uh, uh, anyhow is uh, uh, quite well known. And so he is a brother magician and he was watching this. And so he considered when he said, I am, he considered himself to be a brother to Derek, which we are brothers in this in this community of, uh, of fellow magicians and so when he said brother is like that's that's right he sat down so again people who look at that i mean we are all brothers and sisters in christ uh, and in the world uh in this context is another way of looking at it he was a fellow or brother magician too scott i swear when david blaine sat down i watched it the second time after you told me that he was weeping yeah, i think he was there's just another way in which the show was so moving to get that that there was this incredible emotional attachment between people and and especially in the letters holly okay yeah can we go back to that <laughs> yeah yeah so i so okay here's where i read this article somewhere between now and and when i watched it about a woman kind of saying i'm a person who wants to figure things out who wants to know but i don't know if knowing how these letter works is going to make it any more or less powerful it was just so powerful and, and so the magic i it was the power of that moment was the magic of of having someone read a letter perceivably from someone in their life that sort of handed themselves back to them. But I would love to know how you experienced that. <laughs> yeah, the, the effect for people who, again, have not seen this, uh, essentially that uh, Derek gets on a ladder and he gets up the wall and there is a uh, there are pigeonholes with several letters. And as he's talking, he's pulling various letters out. And Bill, should we talk about the elephant in the room? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyhow, so he pulls these letters out, but then when he has someone from the audience who comes up and sits down, then he shows that these letters are all addressed to him, Derek Delgadio, in, in his place there in New York, and that on the back that it says different things, uh, brother, sister, son, uh, godson, uh, different, uh, different relatives or whatever, and then has the guy to, uh, to just select one of the letters. He could have taken whichever other letter. The effect is that he said that these letters were all written to me. However, as you open the letter and begin reading it, you will see the uh, the handwriting form before your eyes in a familiar script and uh, and be personalized to you. And so I want you to read it alone to your uh, to yourself and then aloud to the audience. and And the reactions were just amazing. First of all, to see as they were reading it, saying, oh, my gosh, I, what? I can't believe this. And then finally. How did the father know to write her a letter? Yeah, I mean, just, <laughs> that's right. Like, just yeah. kind of like, what? What? And then they start crying in every case. And so here's, here's another insight that my buddy Pat Hazel was telling me. So he was watching, I think, one of the performances. And I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this. He was saying mm -hmm. that uh, so he chose a letter that said father. 
uh, and he, he looked at the back of the letter and said, father. And, he, and the guy said to Derek said, I, I, I don't have a father. And he said, really? And he said, well, open it up and just, just read the letter. And he looked at it, he started reading it, had the same reaction, started, uh, you know, getting serious and started to cry. And then he, then he read it aloud. And as he did, it, it uh, talked about important things in his life and uh, things that were very personal. Uh, and then at the end, it was signed, uh, Benjamin, your stepdad. And um, then uh, Derek said, uh, so, so who, who is that from? And he said, well, it's from my father. And he said, I thought you said you didn't have a father. And he said, I do now. So again, this idea of like handing someone's identity to them. Did you know, oh, I love that you're yeah, getting, exactly. I'd love to know what's coming up for you right now. <laughs> for me? No, for Scott, he got, uh, he got a, he had a moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah, whenever that, uh, uh, my wife had passed and that uh, I found a letter that she had written to God in the Bible. And um, I had Bill um, uh, to, um, to deliver a, um, some words. And I asked him if he would read that because I couldn't. And um, I don't know if you remember that bill, but uh, I do. Yeah. Anyhow, I thought Who that was amazing forget? that uh, she was writing a very personal letter. That I was able to later hear. Yeah. Wow. That must have been really powerful then yeah. for you to be a viewer of watching these letters be unfolded. Right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's so. I think that um, again, those uh, the letters and the whole play is something that uh, that that everybody will have something they can take away that is personal to them. And there are several things in there, as Bill said, watching it a couple of times. I mean, I know people who have watched it well over a dozen times. So yeah, yeah. if you're going to uh, just get the seven day free trial with Hulu. Watch it seven you times. You got to watch it every day or, you know, yeah. think about it and then come back that night, watch it again, watch it two or three times a day or something, because you might get something yeah. else out of it. But even whenever I discuss this with people that I get a little bit emotional, that uh, I, I'm one of those guys that uh, cries over uh, uh, McDonald's commercials you know <laughs> or uh hallmark commercials or whatever i just the ones that always got me were the um tyson's feeding you like family it's a chicken commercial <laughs> <laughs> they always got me yeah. um well scott i think we could talk to you all day but we probably ought to bring this to a close you know i i i, I tell you uh i have seen scott's stage show three times now and of course, we've done what magicians call sessions together over lunch a lot. But um, I, would, I would like to point out that there's a real difference between somebody who does magic tricks and somebody who does magic. And as you've picked up from Scott, magic is something that is a, a, a platter on which meaningful stories are conveyed to people to take them out of their regular way of thinking so that they can experience the world in a different way. 
Um, I know that a couple of times when I've seen you, you, you use a, um, what in the trades called a magic water vase, the waters from Zanzibar. Zanzibar. <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, it's always that unexpected. There's something more to come. There's something more to come. There's something more to come, which you don't get at the beginning of the effect, but it goes on and on. What builds an audience is a sense of hope. Oh, wow. Okay. It's not over. Yeah. Yeah. So before we go, though, there's there's two things I want to say. Number one, we should say what Scott's shirt says, which is, I don't do magic. I am magic. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I would love, I want to come back to that in a second. And secondly, as we all three experience the emotion of thinking about the letters, your own relationship to finding a letter from your wife, that that to me seems like the most profound way that people live on is through memory, through storytelling, through narrating, and through the emotions that that elicits in our, in our own being, right? So your wife is very much here. I believe <laughs> right so, now. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But what I wanted to ask though, is this, this embodiment of magic, is magic spiritual for you? And that's where we'll end. <laughs> is that a question to both Bill and me? I'm specifically asking you, Scott, but I'd love to hear Bill. Is <laughs> it spiritual to me? Um, I consider Bill my spiritual advisor, and you're his assistant. You're my assistant spiritual advisor. So when people, uh, I'm the one that disappears in the closet. <laughs> I decided, uh, you know, some time ago that uh, I, I, I've always said I go to Sunday school, and now I've been for the last year, I've been watching Sunday school on on uh, television, uh, on YouTube, or yeah, on, uh, on television. But anyhow, uh, I, uh, I, I don't want that to sound childish, just like magic might sound childish. Again, people might lump this into being for children. Uh, so that's why that I say, well, it's like, I consider it really more of a spiritual advisor because I'm learning how to uh, uh, better worship, uh, learning more about what is the truth and that, uh, uh, that the, uh, that, that the parables are, are trying to say, uh, to me in living my life, uh, which, which by the way, I just wanted to mention that last Sunday that you said, Holly, about, uh, we're talking about the Lord's prayer and, uh, instead of starting off with our father who art in heaven, perhaps of changing that to to something and that i uh, thought well it could be that some people may not have had a good relationship with their father and also a mother is a creator so what about saying mother well it could be you may not have had a good relationship with your mother so but they are both creators parents are creators and so perhaps if um you you would just say uh, uh loving loving creator rather than our heavenly father our father in heaven um, so a loving creator and rather than in heaven, because that God is in me, I see the God in me and I see the God in you that it's in me. And so, uh, that of saying, um, uh, um, loving, loving creator, uh, uh, who lives in me might be a way of kind of, of, of starting that. And so I, I, I see spirituality being different from magic. I see magic that can be considered to be spiritual. Uh, I think also it can change lives, just like podcasts can change lives. I know that for a fact that mine has. I've had people who have come to me weeping and telling me that they have heard things on my podcast that has changed their lives 
for the better uh, and help them with their relationship with their children or got them involved in uh, their kids uh, being more extroverted uh, and getting involved in things, getting out of the house and being involved in some other project or whatever. Um, and so I, I, I know that I've changed some lives uh, and I just, just through the, the podcast, but also through, through times whenever that you are doing magic, you never know who you're performing for. It could be that when you're talking to someone at, uh, at, a, at a restaurant, you're interrupting a conversation that could be the last meal that person is having before they go into hospital for a cancer or a heart surgery or something. And it may be a family thing. And so that you are making that last potential last supper, something special for them. So from that standpoint, that it, it then becomes spiritual, but many times you don't know that's the case. You're, you're, we are lucky if we do hear that sometimes where people would say, thank you. You don't know what that just meant to me or to my grandmother, because I've never seen this autistic child laugh like that or engage. He's never asked people questions before to see people light up like that, that you, you, you can change lives. So it's spiritual yeah. from that standpoint. Um, it's, it's not something that, I mean, magic is all sleight of hand. Sometimes people will ask me, well, isn't yeah. 80% of that really just tricks and sleight of hand? Well, no, no, it's not. 100% of it is. It's, it's whatever you make of that, I guess, if you want to, to build on that. There are so many different areas that, of magic where there's going to be sleight of hand, whether it's illusions or escapes or, uh, or, or whatever, mentalism, et cetera. Uh, but uh, what, whatever you choose uh, will, will be something that is for you that might help to change your life then also. Uh, so anyhow, I don't know if that really answered your question, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it's spiritual sometimes for me, I guess, but other times it's just methodical of, of just rehearsing and practicing those uh, slights of hand what what the spiritual and maybe the magic is is that what happens in between you and that's true audience. i yeah. yes sometimes yeah. that you can get in the zone where you're we're yeah. rehearsing and you're practicing and move over and over until it becomes so uh so habitual that you're not thinking about it and so that becomes more spiritual because you can think about other things rather than what your hands are doing yeah but Scott, what a joy. I, it's, it's been a pleasure of getting to know you over the years in ordinary life and just um, being able to interact with you in this way. And I think both you and Bill are kind of, you know, again, I think about magic being what happens in between you and the audience, you and the people that you love and that that's the spiritual experience. So thanks for sharing a little bit of your insights with us today. <laughs> I'm honored to have uh, come on and uh, hope that, uh, it was kind of helpful. I want to encourage people to not just watch this, but to this, the show of in and of itself, but also to take it to heart and to uh, see how it would apply to your life and how that you can actually take more time to smell the roses and appreciate those behind, around you. And uh, when you have an opportunity to, uh, to give them a hug and a kiss, yeah. uh, you know, please do. Uh, and uh, give them an extra one for me since uh, <laughs> I don't have anybody here, you know, to, uh, to yeah. hug it. So it'd be great to, uh, to interact with other people. And so be aware of, of, of what's happening and, and, and don't worry about who that you are right now, because in a few minutes, you're going to be somebody else. <laughs> So we lost Bill right at the very end of our podcast. His audio fell out. I'm sure he would have wanted to say goodbye and thank you. And we're so glad you joined us today as we got to talk to Scott Wells. Thank you. 
Thanks, Holly. Thanks, Bill.